Hey, what's up? David Scales here. Have you been to the dermatologist since Chaz got diagnosed with skin cancer? I hope you have. But I also realize that not everybody has access to a dermatologist and not everybody has the resources to visit the dermatologist. So hopefully you heard my first segment with Dr. Andres Cruz Inigo on episode 210 of Surf Splendor. He's a surfer from Puerto Rico who's a Cornell uh, med grad. He is a Mayo Clinic trained board certified dermatologist specializing in early skin cancer detection at Scripps Clinic in Encinitas, California. That first segment on that episode was just a three minute segment of him explaining what you need to look for for early detection, but I'll just recap the bullet points. Basically, he said to look for anything on your skin that is changing, changing size, shape, color, scabbing or crusting, bleeding or itching. This could be a pimple, a scab, a freckle, or a mole. Anything that isn't behaving like your normal skin, um, like your normal skin has for your entire life, it is suspect and it needs a doctor's examination. So in specific regard to moles, which are mainly the birthplace for melanoma, which is the most deadly skin cancer, Dr. Andres Cruz Inigo gives this self-screening guide. So there are different things we use to screen. There's a A, B, C, D, E, okay, where you're looking really for asymmetry, borders, color, diameter being bigger than a pencil razor, or evolving being the most important. So anything changing basically size, shape, or color, the A, B, C, D, E, okay, would be your guide to spot a melanoma. Then on the other hand, what do you do if you have over 50 moles, which puts you at higher risk for melanoma? Then we use what's called the ugly duckling. So you look almost at your moles like looking at a constellation in the sky, and you try to spot what looks different, what really stands out from all the rest. It's very tricky in my line of work seeing a lot of high-risk patients because some patients come in and all their moles look different. Hmm and a lot of their moles will meet the A, B, C, D, E's, and that's where you really have to look for the one that looks much different than the other ones, and make sure you see someone who's an expert dermoscopist who uses surface polarized microscopy to check your moles. Okay. All right, you got that? The A, B, C, D, and E's. Asymmetry, borders, color, diameter, and evolving. So those are what you need to look for when you're doing self-screening. And again, evolving and changing being the most important indicator. He mentioned wanting, uh, needing to see a, making sure that you see a specialist. He gave me an example, told me a story of a woman who had been to three doctors to look at a specific mole. And all three doctors said, it's not an issue. Don't worry about it. Turned her away. But she knew that it was. It was irregular just for her skin. So she came and saw Dr. Andres Cruz Indigo. And sure enough, it was melanoma. And he caught it and treated it. And she's perfectly fine and healthy, has a family, kids, all that sort of stuff. So if had she left that um, un, un, unquadruple checked, who knows where she'd be today. So... Sorry for the PSA, but it's in your best interest. The reason I'm doing this is because dying from skin cancer is completely avoidable. It happens all the time, and it's completely avoidable. If caught early, it can simply be scraped or burned away 
no big deal. You're out the same day. You're out in five minutes. If caught late, it can still be treated. Catching it is the key. And screenings are the difference between life and death. The sun is a carcinogen. So cover up, wear sunblock, and then, of course, get screened. All right, that's it for the PSA. Without further ado, here's today's episode of The Grit with Chaz Smith. Enjoy. All right, Chaz Smith, welcome back to the Grit. May, or I'm sorry, April sixth, two thousand eighteen. How's it going? It's good. Good man. Surfrider Foundation here. Surf. I almost just I almost just stole a Surfrider sticker, even though I'm a belonger. I think they'd give it to you. I know. I was thinking about it. Where is it? Is uh, it, it was just outside. It was oh. like uh, it was like member since. I wonder if they have if you could go back into the files and get like member since. 1988 or something i bet they have like an archive a library of all the logos and stuff like that it'd be a pretty cruel move to claim to claim you remember since 1988 dude you with cancer and with yeah surfrider foundation you're trying to yeah i'm really i'm glom on it's it's an ugly it's an ugly turn in my personality um we're actually giving away surfrider foundation memberships this month Believe it or not, one-year memberships for everybody who uses the promo code from SPY. What? Yeah. Gets a free Surfrider? For a year. Man. How crazy is that? That is a great deal right it there. Was, it was um, the guy from SPY that I work with mentioned it. He's like, hey, for because it's Earth Day this month. Okay. So he's like, we've been giving away t-shirts whenever anybody uses your promo code. How about we just make a donation to Surfrider? And it, it was like, I was like, that's a good idea, but I'll split the cost with you for a full year membership because I think that would be more impactful. Sure. And then with that yearly membership, you get correspondence with Surfrider and a t-shirt from Surfrider. And, and I was like, I bet. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I bet if they get that correspondence, they'll realize all the good work that's done and then renew the membership at the end of the year. Oh, completely. So the idea. That's a good idea. So there you go, dude. Sunglasses and a, and a free, like... I mean, I wonder how many surfers in this world, that's the only good thing they do is, is belong to surf rider. That's, I mean, I was that for a very long time. I'm still that. Yeah. (laughs) I I think we do some good PSA work here. Yeah. (laughs) Sunblock, sun skincare. Um, Speaking of which, how's everything with your surgeries? Multiple surgeries. Multiple surgeries. My multiple surgeries have really thrown me into an odd state. I'll be honest. I'll be real frank with you. Really? I mean, I haven't been in the water since November now. It's probably the longest in my, it can't be the longest in my life, but it sure does feel like it. it and the water was actually a pool. The water was a wave pool. That's was right. was a wave generating pool in Lemoore, California. So it wasn't even the ocean. No. Yeah. So it's weird. And I realized way too late, I think, I didn't know, I should have known, uh, that surgery is not the same as an injury. Like mm. you get injured, you recover. And surgery, I realized, or at least with this surgery, you don't recover. I mean, it's like everything has to, the the bone has to fuse on, I guess. So I can't do it. So I'm just getting worse and worse every day, basically. Really? I mean, you know, in terms of muscle atrophy and stuff like that, yeah. Because I can't lift a pound until May. That's crazy. Yeah. There's no physical therapy or anything. I do, but they just take my arm and stretch it in different ways. Yeah. I, like I'm supposed to do no weight bearing anything for till like middle May. Is it just breaking up scar tissue basically? It's not 
generating no no i think it's just i think when they stretch in physical therapy when they stretch my arm it's just literally so the muscle doesn't freeze Mm -hmm. so yeah so you're in a bad mood bummed Um, out no i'm okay i think i'm Okay. okay okay i think i'm doing fine enough yeah yeah i think um i forget the value of number one exercise but number two getting in the ocean when i go through spans of time where i'm working on a project or something and it's it's like you you get through day to day, but I also notice kind of a time contraction and expansion yeah. where it's like the days, in some sense, they go faster, but I'm just not enjoying life at all. And then I'll force myself to go surf. It's really the only physical activity I get. Um, and it's all of a sudden a release of every all the tension, all the it won't even be a good session. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. a little bit of the cold water. It's a little bit of this vitamin D from the sun, probably. You know, it's a little bit of like getting humbled, probably on a few duck dives and stuff like that. And you get out and you're just like, oh man, this is kind of my true center and self. Yep. Sounds so cheesy, you know, it to is, say it is out so loud, cheesy, but, but it's kind of true. Yeah, it is totally. It's weird spending days like driving by the ocean and not caring for me. I mean, always like the ocean is always, I think for surfers, this fixed uh, point of reference where you're always looking and wondering what's happening, right? Like anytime you see any body of water, frankly, that's yeah. big, big enough to have waves. Like even if it's like a little, six inch thing like you know you're mind surfing it or when you drive past and see good swell then you're oh man right. like it totally reorders it your life and for me to drive by now and to have it to have zero bearing it's probably the it's the first time that i can remember in a long time where the ocean has had no bearing on my life like whatever's weird. happening there is is none of my business weird yep i think that also happens when you're surfing all the time. Yeah. Like if you're surfing every single day too frequently, you then lose appreciation for some of those mm-hmm. details too. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. The, the times that in my life, I think I've done it rotely. I used to uh, teach at um, uh, Cal State Long Beach and really? I would, yeah, I lived in LA, but would teach there. And so would drive down, but I, I just taught night classes. So I'd always come down super duper early and just surf every day and surf either Huntington or Manhattan beach. And I think that did more to harm my surfing than anything else in, in my entire life. Not that my surfing was going anywhere anyway, but surfing Huntington's fine, but surfing uh Manhattan beach, mm-hmm. like just because it was close, like just shitty closeouts yeah. is, as doesn't make you like surfing. Uh, what year were you teaching there? What years? I think it would have been, like 2000 must have been like 2005 or six through close to 10 maybe oh, okay through eight or nine yeah. i was there really i was there i think i graduated maybe 2005 i'm sorry it wasn't cal state long beach i'm sorry long beach city college oh yeah i'm okay. sorry i'm sorry okay. i'm sorry yes okay no i was one yeah i was thinking really yeah yeah that would have been weird long beach city college um, what'd you teach? English. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I feel like I know that. Um, so with all you, all of your downtime, it really appears that you've been catching up on a lot of movies and Netflix. Does, do I based look on your writing? Do I look gaunt? Do I look? No, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Based on things that you've said, you referenced wild, wild oh, country at yeah. one point. Yep. Did you watch the did, whole thing? Yeah. Did you? It's so good. Uh, yes. It's fantastic. I watched it all in the first weekend that it dropped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, 
it's six hours long. Yep. And I think I did like three hours one day and three hours the next, like cleaning the house, doing while it was on. I wasn't on the sofa the whole time, but it was captivating. Having like, I mean, I I was in, or I guess I wasn't in Oregon exactly during that time, but you know, I, I mean, I grew up not close to the, to the ranch there, but you know, in Oregon, and I remember people talking about it. Do you? Sure. When we were there, like the, especially down for some reason, I don't know if my uncles had knew somebody there at property, but it was always, they always talked about it, about the Rajneesh up there and the farm and what was going on. I always, for some reason I always had the farm in Southern Oregon. It was interesting to mm. me to see it, how far East it was, but yeah, having uh, like I was finishing up, uh, I was directing Lisa Anderson's documentary, um, and kind of in the in the finishing stages while watching Wild Wild Country, and so amazed by how much footage they had. They had footage of everything that happened, which I don't know how they had that footage. It's because the what's the name of the group? Rajneesh. The Rajneesh. The Rajneesh. Yeah. Filmed everything. I mean, they. But how did the person get access to everything? That's the question. It was. It was insane. The amount of footage yeah. and access they had, like historical access. Right. I mean, it was like the thing, it's like the thing happened 30 years ago in order to become a documentary today. Totally. Like that's the way it felt. It was so um, well crafted. And it's fun. really well made yeah. to sift through all that footage. But even still, like the, I, what I loved about it was the, um, the way that they chose to tell the sure. story. Well, you know? the, 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 even the way they shot the interviews, like totally. the, the locals that they had at the end from Bowerman's grandson or whatever to like everybody everybody they chose to tell the story through was not only captivating and fun to listen to and fun to watch but i mean it was just yeah you couldn't have scripted it better no you couldn't have they like starting where they started where it's like with the small town farmer who's explaining like yeah one day i just saw this guy on the side of the road and he's like hey man they're coming yeah you know, and then they kind of build upon that. I had no, the funny thing is I was born in 81 and this took place 83, 84-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no, I had no awareness of it. I didn't yeah. know that this even happened. So this was all fresh to me. And first of all, you're wearing a similar color. Your shirt, yeah. it's like you're part of the tribe right now. I'm, I'm kind of Rajneeshi right now. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. dude. Maybe you didn't know it when you put that on today, I'm a but, little bit Raj. Um but yeah, so this was all fresh to me and I then explained it to like my parents. I was like, there's this great documentary. And they're like, I kind of vaguely remember that, but it was huge. That's the funny thing. I think they did a really good job in the documentary of making it this universal story. Like, cause it really was weird and stuff. But, but again, you know, I mean, I was in Papua New Guinea for part of that time, but I was back in Oregon by, I think it was in Papua New Guinea from 82 to 84 or something. Uh, but back in, you know, like, there for the for at least the end of the Rajneesh thing and again it was only my uncles talked about it I remember I don't think it was that big I I think they did a great job in the documentary to make it look like it was captivated the world they had a bunch of news clips I don't think it did I think it was a really local story that you know had I think went out to the nightly news every once in a while but it must have because they had all the stinking Brokaw talking about it and stuff clips they did but I mean that could have been a two-minute segment once yeah that Brokaw yeah you know it's not necessarily every night but the female leader in the Rajneesh, the right-hand woman. How fantastic was she? She was doing press everywhere. So yeah. it had to be somewhat global because she was doing Donahue and like yeah. these big mainstream talk shows, which again, it might've just been one episode of Donahue, but still she yep. was actually out there 
getting the word out. Yeah, you know? it's fantastic. Totally worth a watch. I, it, totally worth the watch, but also I have to imagine for you making the documentary about Lisa Anderson, this is the golden era of documentary film. It is. I mean, that's the funny thing. I think I, I've always really liked documentaries. Um, I like true stories, I guess. You know, I like to write true stories. I like to watch true stories. I just, uh, I just like them. And it really is. I mean, I think we've been in a golden age of DACO for a while now. I just think of, you know, so many good ones that have come out even in the last 10 years from the kid stays in the picture. Did you ever see that one? Oh yeah. Fantastic movie. Um, Robert, Robert, Robert what's his uh, name? Robert, the Hollywood producer yeah, Evans. Yes. Bob Evans. So good, yeah, dude. Fantastic. So good. So yeah, there's all these great uh, documentaries, but you know, making one to me, um, the bar is raised so high yes. that, that it makes it even harder. Like yeah. it's not just that you can, okay, hey, you know, talking heads, talk, we're going to get some historical footage done, documentary, like which I feel that that's the way people used to make them. Now people make art as mm-hmm. docos. And so to have to try to make art too, it's, yeah, that thing, the Lisa Daco kept me up. Yeah, it was the hardest thing I've ever done work-wise. It's funny that you were saying you were editing while watching that, because I would imagine you start watching Wild Wild Country and think, crap, like I need to elevate my game. Thankfully, thankfully with the least one, I had a plan heading in what I wanted to do uh, and really stuck to exactly, there was like three things that I wanted only from the documentary. I mean, set up as guideposts. And so everything that happened outside, like looking at other documentaries, I feel like it's absolutely brilliant, but that's not the documentary I was making. Right. Like, and Lisa's story could never be the Rajneesh Rajneesh story. You have this epic scale uh, for Rajneesh for Lisa's you have one person and my whole goal in making it and it'll be out here soon enough, I guess everybody can see it, but it was just a simple, I get, I got so tired of, especially action sports documentaries, particularly surf documentaries where you have the subject and then everybody just crowing on and on about the subject, changing the entire world, right? Mm-hmm. They were the best surfer that ever lived and they totally altered history by their surfing, et cetera, et cetera, where none of it's ever true. Right. I mean, game changing figures come along, you know, once in a lifetime, maybe. And, Every documentary being like this game-changing thing to me, I just got so burned out that with Lisa's, I just wanted it to be a really quiet, true story about a remarkable woman. And without any fluff, without any hyperbole, without anybody blowing smoke, I just wanted it to be simple, quiet, and true. And I feel, you know, that was it. That was where I set the, the marker. And I feel that, yeah, through Lisa's honesty, I mean, Lisa was so open and honest through the whole thing um, th- that I feel that the film achieves that. Can you say what the three goals were that you were going to achieve? Yeah, I mean, it's mostly, it's one was I didn't want any other person uh, telling any part of the story except for Lisa. I didn't want one talking head. I get so, got so tired. I think everybody leans on it so heavily. Of course, you go interview everybody, right? But I think what happens inevitably is if the subject especially is still living or, or still has living family, it's really hard to get somebody to say something negative about somebody else. And not only that, everybody I think raises the game of praise talking because that's just an, I think a natural human instinct, right? Like if somebody came and said, Hey, I want you to go on the air talking about, you know, I'm going to film you talking about David Lee scales. Of course, I'm not going to say anything bad. I don't think I wouldn't even think of anything bad. And I would just say, I would say things that were so good that they would become absurd, which I think that's what's happened in action sports documentary maybe all documentary, but action sports in particular is you have a bunch of talking heads just 
going crazy about, you know, being way too highfalutin or way too just, you know, praising something more than it should be praised. So no, no talking heads. There's only Lisa telling her story. It's just her voice, the entire thing. Um, I don't want to do any kind of artificial praise or anything. Just wanted to be super true and super honest. Um, and I just wanted it to be quiet. I wanted it to breathe and flow without having to bang the drum always about what Lisa was doing, you know, and that she changed the world and da 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 da. I just wanted it to be, I wanted it to be simple. Yeah. So, just a portrait. Yeah. That was it. Um, well, I'm looking forward to it. Do you have a release date? Uh, it should be out. Uh, I mean, it's definitely, I don't know if it'll premiere here. It might premiere actually at the Founders Cup at Surf Ranch. Really? Maybe. Um, That's less than a month away? It is less than a month away. May Holy 5th. Holy cow. I think it's May 5th. Oh, actually. shoot. Uh, I'll get back to you on that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere around there. Um, but then, yeah, it, it's also... Uh, an official selection at the Florida Surf Film Festival. I'm going. So that's exciting. I'm going too. Uh, in November? No, in um, June. Oh, or damn. I'm sorry. Is it June? I don't know. I'm going to their November festival, but I think that might be the short films. They have a co- Yeah, I think it's in June. Okay. Uh, they, I think they have June, August, and November also. Okay. I might be going to the November one too. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, the reason why we said, oh, shoot, about the Founders Cup thing is I'm getting a booth at the boardroom show for the podcast, and I'm having former show guests come and do meet and greets for listeners. So I invited Chaz and Chaz is planning to come. I'll be there. No, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll well, be there. What if be- it premieres at the Founders Cup? You got to go to the premiere. Sure. I'll go to the premiere, but the, but I think the Founders Cup is a couple days, right? So, all right, well, and, we'll work it out. Yeah. We'll work. No worries. I'm going to be a boardroom. Um, couple of other documentaries did you ever see the rodney bingenheimer one yes sunset mayor of sunset strip or something like that fantastic so good that's the thing when you have those bigger than life characters where you don't need to fluff it up at all those are the ones that really are sweet i mean same with the bob evan the kids in the picture you have these characters that just they like deserve a documentary and, and you don't have to go above and beyond to tell their story well the funny thing was about that was he's such a weirdo like k rock I mean, I'm from Southern California, so like I grew up listening to K-Rock, but you just think every big city has a big radio sure. station like that that's equally important. No, no, no. K-Rock was the most important. They broke, no doubt, Red Hot Chili Peppers, like all these huge bands, bands from the UK, the Pixies, whoever would come submit tapes to K-Rock hoping because of K-Rock validated them, they could go back to the UK and sell tickets. Yep. And Rodney Bingenheimer was the guy. Yeah. But what's great is he's such a freaking weirdo. He's a total nut. Total nut. So it's a great documentary. Anybody interested should dig that up. The other one I was going to ask you about is Sea of Darkness. Of course. You've seen it? Yeah, you haven't? I have it. Oh, you own it? I own it. Wow, you're going to have a lot of people hitting you up for a digital download. Yeah. Yeah. That's a rare, that is a rare thing to own. It came up on... um, the podcast a couple of years ago and I had not seen it. And then a listener sent me a copy of it. Oh, fantastic. How, which version do you have? There's a lot sure. of versions. Oh, I didn't know out that. There. Yeah. I mean, it's been edited. Uh, yeah. Well, there's no final version. There's no, no release to public version. Yeah, right? no, exactly. You, can you tell the story for listeners who aren't familiar with what we're talking about? Sure. Um, the filmmaker, Michael Oblovitz, uh, had met, um, daily, uh, Martin Daly, the Indies trader captain on a flight and he was sitting next to him and Oblovitz, South African filmmaker, knew him and so they got to talking and Oblovitz said, okay, I want to, you know, I think it initially started with maybe an Indies trader story um, but what it turned into was a story about basically the founding of G-Land um, where you have 
you know, all these people who came to G-Land and then where these characters, the main characters who founded it, like what happened to them. So from Mike Boyum to, you know, Bob McKnight from Quicksilver, it was part of the story to Martin Daly himself. Uh, and basically as the story goes, yeah, I mean, I, I won't, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's the, it's the founding of G-Land and then the aftermath of what happened and where these, where these characters went and involves, you know, running drugs and jail time in Indonesia and founding of surf brands. It's a, it's a fascinating story and well told. And the reason that it uh, was never released to the public was one of the big brands apparently bought the rights to it and then shelved it and buried it so that nobody could find it. Is that true? I don't know if that's true. I don't think that's true. I just think, I think they had massive clearance issues uh, where he made the film and he didn't, all of it's made the film and I don't think he got clearances from everybody to appear on the film or be on the film. Um, and then, so anybody who is disappointed with their, whatever, I mean, it just, it turned into a massive, it's not a flattering story. Right. Uh, for some people it is, but for others it's not. And so the version that I saw when I saw it, I was like, I can't believe you made this movie. That is an incredible movie. Yeah. Uh, which likely will never see the light of day. I think it's, I think it's a, a, clearance issue i don't think there's any nefarious burying of it okay i just think that it's it can't be cleared in the way it is you have a good memory by the way oh, to um, remember that those people's names and like the storylines like i don't remember all that detail oh uh, well oblivitz uh is a feature is a character in the cocaine plus surfing a love story book coming out so i got it i hung out with oblivitz quite a bit or couple days i mean i've hung out with him before he's a he's a great character himself yeah. michael oblowitz i remember you writing something about him on beach grid a couple of years ago mm. um and by the way that book is slated for release june june 12th okay because we were talking about if you do come to the boardroom show doing a book release signing and all that sort of stuff but the book won't be out well, yet so you'll bring almost out copies of i'll bring welcome to paradise okay now go to hell and do signings of that sure um Oh, the other film that I remember you mentioning on Beach Grit in your downtime was I, Tanya. Oh, fantastic. It's so good, It's dude. fantastic. So good. Yeah. Uh, the problem is Margot Robbie is so smoking hot. Like, part of Tanya Harding is... White trash. Her story is that she's homely. Sure. Yeah, and white trash. And like, you know, that's why she can't get appreciated by the judges and all that sort of stuff. But Margot Robbie, you can't make her look bad. It's true. She's smoking. It's true. But but the version of, I'll have to say, uh, in I, Tanya, she acts so well. The whole yeah. thing is, so, and it makes it, it makes, like, because I think if the character was genuinely looked like actual Tanya Harding was homely, she would have been so unlovable that it would, even though she was getting beaten by her mom and all this and by her husband and all this stuff, it would have been hard to cheer for her. But with Margot looking the way she does, it makes it a lot easier I mean, you have this—you have this classic, not classic heroine at all. But she's a, she's an archetypal, I think, um, as Margot or the Margot Robbie's version. It's hard not to love her, yeah, based on her looks. Precisely, but I think you don't need to love the protagonist in this case. Like, I don't know that Tanya Harding was even lovable. No, I just know? thought it, I thought it was what I liked about the movie is you take something that everybody, you know, old enough to remember it has a has a pretty clear opinion on that. Uh, Tanya Harding did something unforgivable, more or less, or was involved in something unforgivable to Nancy Kerrigan. Right. Um, but then when you pull the covers back a bit, just seeing all the things in Tanya Harding's life, and not that she had anything necessarily to do with the 
with whacking, you know, Kerrigan on the knee. But y- you just see that what you what you think you can have a pretty clear opinion on is really so multifaceted Tom. and and she's yeah. a victim of circumstance in a lot of ways. So many ways. Yeah. Good movie. Fantastic movie. Also, from a narrative standpoint, really interestingly oh, told. So well told. Um so, dude, I know I already mentioned Spy, but we're doing the cur- the uh, grumpy giveaway. I've got one. You got one? Okay. I've got one. So, last time, Omelette won the giveaway for saying that I sound like a... Um, David Lee Scales sounds like a cancer, because um, we were talking about skin cancer. I haven't heard back from Omelette yet, though, dude. I think he wants to preserve his anonymity. That's fine. Yeah. I, I tried to reach out through Beach Grit, and I don't know that his or his email appears not to work, so... He prefers anonymity over some free shades, dude. I'll tell you, though. He needs them. They make you he happy. He does. Yeah, he does, because he is a grumpy, grumpy dude. So, Omelet, come collect. Otherwise, we've got a new winner this we've week. We've got Jazz. a new winner. My or, phone is is having difficulty loading, but it's oh. it's uh, Wiggly's pa- paddling style. Under the latest, I think my latest story, making fun of Kelly Slater's skin flintedness okay uh are you online there i'm gonna try while you're talking skin flintedness what was the story uh okay here we're uh, just in kelly kelly slater screwed by fine print right so kelly slater made two appearances on beach grit this week first for complaining on instagram about paying uh surfboard baggage fees on an ultra low cost um regional airline carrier right which I guess nobody told Kelly that that's how those things exist is you buy a ticket for 50 bucks and then you pay for the air you breathe while flying. You pay for uh, your tray table to come down. You pay for everything on those. That's the whole point of those things. And Kelly, though, like a good old man got online and got angry on Instagram about how dare they charge him $200 for surfboard baggage fees, which is more than his ticket, which clearly it's more than your ticket, Kelly. That's the whole point. Dude, the modern era of the old man yelling at from his porch for the kids to stop skateboarding out front. That's Kelly. The modern era is Instagram. So, and so Kelly did that, right? Uh, And then a few days later proceeded to get back online or back on Instagram and be really mad that um, we're here. I'm trying to find it here. Sorry. Okay. Found it. Uh, got really mad that apparently he got a ticket uh, in a rental car in Australia and then was furious that there was a processing fee from the rental car company for $55 for his ticket where in the fine print, which that's everything in this life, right? I mean, you get it. There's processing fees for everything. Nobody that are bummer, but nobody complains about them because they just, it's living in this, in this world. Anyway, uh, Wiggly's paddling style got on. So, you know, I wrote the story about Kelly complaining about his ticket or the $55 processing fee for his ticket. Uh, Wiggly's paddling style got on and said, this reminds me of the photograph where Kelly is playing chess against John John. The surf media would like to portray them as brooding and highly intelligent. But then you remember that they're actually dumb cunts who didn't go to school and really, and are really good and got really good at surfing. John John is, in fact, wondering whether the queen or bishop tastes better, and Kelly is wondering whether John John has realized Kelly doesn't know how to play chess yet. Read the fine print or get fucked, Kelly. That's the way of the world. Welcome to hell. No one is immune to the fucking. Ha ha ha. Die, cunt. Die in your recycled fishing net of lies. Wow. <laughs> Wiggly's paddling style brought the heat. Brought the heat. Brought the heat in the grumpiest, 
I mean, die in your fishing net, recycled fishing net of lies wins it right there. But the entire thing, like John, John, as Kelly and John, John sit playing chess, John, John wondering which tastes better, the queen or the bishop. And Kelly wondering so if John, John has figured out yet that he doesn't know how to play is fantastic. All of it. Wiggly, Bravo. dude. He needs the happy lens. He's going to get a happy lens. So he Wiggly, needs it. you get a happy lens. Wow. I don't know if the sun, I think Wiggly lives down in Torquay, Torquay or Torquay. Torquay or somewhere down by there. Okay. Uh, he might live in, uh, what's the, what's the, have you, you've been down there yet? No. Oh, you've never been State to Torquay? of Victoria? No, yeah. I haven't been to Australia at all. Oh, what? Yeah. How's that? I have well, no idea. Dude. We need to do it. I've lived road a sheltered show. life. We need to do a road show. Yeah. I don't know that the sun ever shines down there. That's the point. Yeah. Down in Victoria. So. Yeah. That's, those are the people who are affected by seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. So Wiggly will get the, the blue, good, happy blue lights. All right. Sweet. Wiggly. Yep. Well done. Bravo. And I love the, I mean, I've always seen him as a commenter. I'm a, a he or she. Um, and I like the name Wiggly's paddling style, mm. but does Wiggly have an odd paddling style now, or is he just aggressive? Have you ever, st- go, go look at any clip of Wiggly and really? you'll instantly see. Yeah. Okay. He has, a, he has an odd paddling style. It's aggressive, which is part of the odd, oddity of it. You could really... I should do it. I should really break down Wiggly's... Uh, Wiggly's paddling style should break it down. Uh, I should have him break That's down true. Wiggly's paddling style. As... You know what? Since he's winning a free pair of shades, he should now pay it back and write an article for yeah, Beach Grid about, the paddling, about the paddling style. Um, spyoptic.com, by the way, is who's providing the shades. And then again, promo code... Use the promo code podcast when buying a pair of shades or goggles. It can't be a t-shirt. You can't go on there and buy the cheapest item to get this awesome gift. You got to buy shades or goggles. Use the promo code podcast, and then we will gift you the Surfrider membership. A year. I wonder how year. I wonder how many times you could get laid by having the I'm a member of Surfrider sticker on your car. Well, let's start a new contest. Okay. <laughs> Everybody who gets this sticker, report back to us in a year. On how many to how many yeah. either guys or girls looked at your sticker and said, wow, you actually care. Yeah. And it was like saving, that, saving dolphins. Exactly. Yeah. That was, that was the catalyst. Uh, well, I also have a contender for the spy grumpy giveaway, but it came from iTunes. Mm. I don't know if you're aware of this Chaz as a new podcast listener but there's ratings and reviews on iTunes. I didn't. I wasn't aware of this. I mean, I was aware that there was ratings. I didn't know there was reviews. There's reviews. Fantastic. There's a really, really well-written one, but it's so long that it, I don't want to read it here. But the one that uh, is a contender for the Grumpy Giveaway was from Alex Checks on iTunes, whose title was simply, Nah. And he gave us one star, and he said, These two bronies are the equivalent of listening to a wire bu- brush being scraped across a chalkboard on a loop remixed by Skrillex. I wonder if self-awareness is a term they even understand. Amazing. Can he get some, too? No. We can't have two winners. No. Damn it. I, I don't even... The other, the other thing is, we set the rules originally, and the rules are it has to come from the comments in Beach Grid. That's true. So I don't even know how to contact alex checks that's true okay you know well alex thanks for the feedback reading yeah (laughs) thanks for the feedback um hiring for a small business is critical it's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do linkedin jobs will be your next big unlock linkedin jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. 
It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So, all right, dude, uh, I guess we should get into surfing, right? Let's, let's talk should about we surfing. Talk about surfing? <laughs> I'm pretty excited to talk about surfing today. What do you want to talk about? Well, did you watch uh, Bells? I watched every single minute of it. Guess how much of Bells I watched? Three minutes of it. Zero. No. Zero way. minutes, zero seconds. Because you're working on the film? Partially that, yeah. Partially, I, I have a thought. Uh, I meant to write the story this morning, but my child's breakfast got in the way um which is australia is where the tour goes to die i like these three stops out there it's too much it's after snapper to go down to bells and rot around in victoria and then straggle over to the to western australia and waste a bunch more time over there honestly I've, this whole tour is a wash for me. I'm not really? paying attention anymore. Wow. Yeah, I'm tired of it. So even when it goes to better venues, you're just checked out. You're taking a stand because of what out. happened in Australia. I'm checked out. I feel that with the remaking of the tour, nobody loves Australia more than me. Nobody. Um, but with the with this new remade tour, I don't know how they didn't look and say, wait a second, if we go down the whole first part, like the whole basically, I mean, how long is it? Two months by the three yeah, months, two months when it's all said and done. The whole first whole two months are like really far away from everybody. And we're just going to keep it down there. We're going to have yeah. three events, three. We're not going to have one on the mainland U.S. Uh, we're going to wait to get to Europe, you know, till the end, whatever. But we're going to go down and just plant our flag in Australia forever. Because it's such a big market, right? I don't, it can't be. Really? I mean, what, 26 million or something people live on the entire continent of Australia. Yeah. And but sure. They all love surfing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's more surf craze. I get it. I mean, and there's good waves there and stuff, but they should move it around like stinking. Uh, yes. Well, don't okay. start a snapper anymore. That's what I say. Start. If you're going to start, start somewhere, go to dumbbells. I hate Why bells. bells though. Bells I, I mean, I say we eliminate bells. Oh, I would happily eliminate bells based on your argument. Okay. I'm not fully on board with your argument, but I'm going to jump into it and try to kind of understand it. I think Snapper makes sense because it's a high-performance wave and it is a city. It's a metropolis where sure. it's like you can get everybody to the beach and whatever. All the brands will support it. Uh, West Oz is appealing because of the multi-venues. Sure. Like the box, North Point, that stuff is actually super exciting and the ruggedness. Great. Bells, the only reason it's there is because of the history. That's historical. It's, it's, it's historically relevant. It's only there relevant. because this, it was founded in 1961 as a surf contest. But it is a mushy, boring wave that personally, I, I don't ever need to surf it. Like, I never watch that wave and go, oh, I'm going to plan a trip to Bells. It's awful. Never. I mean, right? it's not an awful wave. To, I've surfed 
I guess I've never served Bells, but I've served, you know, Winky and all the stuff around it. And it's all fine and good, but the watching it, watching Bells to me is what is what's the dagger. It's, it's so boring to watch. That's the problem is you have the highest caliber surfers in the world and you're putting them on mediocre waves, yep. right? So it's kind of like Mick doesn't do what he does best at Bells. I mean, he serves Bells better than anybody, but it's not the best version of Mick. Sure. So we want to see him at J-Bay. We want to see him at Winky, actually, would be better. I would know? so happily lot Bells from tour. Totally. But, but they should, I think, honestly, though, in the again, this whole remake, right? They, I yeah. mean, they really, they for all intents and purposes, they blew up the tour uh, and remade it kind of, more or less. Um, and to still, to have those three Australian events at the start, none of which is, to be honest, is you know epic none of those events are epic no like great great snappers really fun to watch great bells is there's no such thing uh great west Oz is probably the best of the three but it's still no it's not pipeline it's not chopu it's not rio yeah i mean i like i like the gold coast event like when it was good this year on yeah. the big days like and they ran at kira like that's exciting to sure. watch and there's no other wave on tour that's really like it's that. good i'm not saying it's not good i just think well, go what a, okay what go, about we talk you said there's limited population in Australia. I would say, is that the largest surfing population on the planet? No, I'd, I'd say Brazil. Brazil's more surfing population. I, I mean, because Brazil has resource to buy surfing. Sure, totally, totally. I mean, I think Brazil, what? Australia's population is 26 or maybe 30 million. Sure. Uh, I think it's th- around 30 somewhere. Brazil's, I think, is basically 300 and some. So you have a, a fairly, I think, surf crazed population. But I don't think that the size of Australia. I, I'm all happy, obviously, the tours in Australia. I just think when you go one place, any place, even if they went to, you know, Portugal or anywhere and just plop down for, you know, okay, we're going to serve France, then we're going to serve Portugal, then we're going to serve one other place right. in Europe. It's just too much. It's okay. too much. There's not enough variety. There's not enough, you know, I know the waves are all three waves they surf in Australia are different, but part of this, you know, the dream tour, like why not start at snapper say, if you're going to start there and then go do some Island thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Like go and then maybe come back to West Oz. And now you have a juxtaposition of, you know, kind of rugged Australia to whichever Island to metropolis. It's just too much. It feels too much the same. It feels like this pretty generic vanilla at the start of the tour that goes on way too long. It's not just snapper, right? It's snapper, then bells, then West Oz. And I'm just out of energy. How do you feel about the multi venues within one stop? I like, like that from winky to bells. And I mean, I like that. I don't, I think they, uh, I don't think in, in, uh, Victoria, there's enough real variety right. to make it, to make that matter. I think in Western Australia, it's awesome where you have very distinctly different, uh, different waves from the box to main break to um, North Point. North Point, exactly. You have you have three basically entirely different waves right there. That's a lot of fun. It adds, it doubles my interest in yep. the event. Yeah. If it was just bells, I'm not that interested. I'll, I'll kind of casually watch. But what I what I also and Winky I far prefer. But what I really like about it is seeing the same surfer surf both waves because mm-hmm. there's guys who sh- or and girls who shine at winky who cannot put it together at bells yep. which is something that we used to th- see throughout the course of the season somebody do great at trestles and not do good at rio or whatever 
But this allows you to kind of highlight the strengths and weaknesses within one event. It yep. compresses it. And it also allows for you to get better waves. Yep. Because if one spot sucks, the other spot could be good. It opens up. So I think that the tour should start considering that when looking at new locations around the world. You know, is like, what are the alternative venues nearby? Because I think every stop should have three or four options. I completely agree. It'd be awesome if the, if the tour, instead of being wave-specific, unless it's somewhere yeah. like Chopu, was region-specific, region totally. where, okay, this, you know, I mean, even from, I mean, yeah, I guess you can't, or say say Southern California, or say California was a venue, right? Yeah. What if you had Santa Cruz, uh, San Clemente, you know, whatever Blacks. else Bla- on, yeah. on the thing. And it could be at any one of those waves, right? right? I mean, you can get anywhere in California quickly. You can get, you can drive up to Santa Cruz in what? Six hours max yeah. from here. Uh, Logistically for the WSL, it's a headache. I mean, you'd have to have, you'd theoretically have to have, I guess, holding permits at each, at each wave. But right. again, though, yeah, I don't know. There's, and maybe it's just that I haven't been in the water. Maybe I'm just grumpy and haven't been wearing my spies enough, even though I've been wearing them nonstop. But uh, I just, I feel like the WSL has, and again, grumpy, but has lost steam. I feel like they're l- kind of losing their way a little bit where it's, yeah. it's not interesting. If it's not interesting to me, again, grumpy, right. out of the water. But yeah. if it's not interesting to me, who's it interesting to? Me. And you, you're, you're like, you're in. I'm, I'm the exact opposite. And I felt that way when you talked about Snapper, too. You were like, ah, I lost interest. I was like, no, dude. This was the most interesting to me. So you're and engaged. You're compelled. You're yeah. the, the stories. Who's who's leading the Jeep leaderboard right now? Is Julian still uh, got the yellow jersey? I think Julian does, yes. Julian does. Mix second or third or something. Mix third, Idolo second. Okay. But, again, it's all about perspective. I think it's all about your own position in life and what's going on. And it's maybe because I'm like more involved in the podcast now and like engaging with listeners through Instagram and email and all this stuff. Now I'm just focused more on it. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's the actual WSLs, um, if they've done a better job, but yes, I am more engaged now. And I think we've scored good waves in these first two events. And there's a lot of drama in the water. There's great surfing in the water. I'm fully into it. I gotta, I gotta find my magic. I'll, I'll tell you part of, part of what, what, uh, why I didn't watch was because I felt long tom Steve Shear on Beach Grit wrote them, especially the Bells event, wrote it so well that I didn't want to watch it. I just wanted to come and read his his stuff the next morning. It's tedious to watch, dude. But that's the thing. If, you, if you're doing it, like I'm in the office for five plus hours sure. a day and then I'm in the car for an hour or two and I do watch it in my car, you know, it, like I prop it up and... Yeah, I mean, I used to trust me. Yeah. I'm, I'm a was, I am, I guess, a yeah. pro surfing fan. But I've just, I feel, I feel cold this year. Okay, a couple of highlights that you missed mm. um, that Long Tom did not cover. Martin Potter was watching Mick Fanning. Um, I think it was before Mick Fanning's round three heat. Camera finds him in the locker room and he's stretching and stuff. And Potter's quote was. You know, Fanning's warming up for his heat. It's just like your car. You don't just jump into your car, turn it on, and drive away. You let it warm up for a little while. What what, what car does I know. Martin Potter drive? I was like, and Joe Turpel just like co-signed it. Like, yep, that's what you do. I'm thinking to myself, I have not warmed up a car ever. Like, in my, my dad used to do it when I was a kid. Yeah. And then I got to thinking, right, which car does Martin Potter drive currently? Martin Potter and, drives a 1984 Commodore. No, in 89. 
Because you know how people oh, get yeah. stuck in their world, prime time? World champ. That Martin was his Potter. year. Totally. You see a guy, you go to the grocery store and you see a guy with like a little bit of a mullet wearing like whatever the clothing is from like his heyday when he was like the high school football star. And you're like, why does that guy dress that way? Oh. He's, pays, he's, he's locked in to his to the high watermark. Yes. Uh, okay, so you can help me out here. Okay. Um, the little I list, I watched... Uh, snapper and the zero i watch bills the the commentary team what used to be kind of in my grumpy perception of this whole thing um the commentary team used to be funny to laugh at a little bit also you know kind of enjoyable to listen to sometimes like like a weird old shoe right like Mm -hmm. you could put it on and hang or i guess old shoe is as bad (laughs) bad metaphor as Martin Potter's. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. I do. Now it just seems threadbare. They seem, I can't listen to any one of them say one more word. I don't know why the WSL is keeping that core intact where, again, if you're going to blow up or if you're going to alter the tour, it is definitely high time to have a new voice in there and to, to remove an old voice. It's just as things go. None of those people are stinking Vin Scully, right? You don't have a icon or Chick Hearn. You don't have an iconic announcer in there. All of them are subpar, I think, on their best day and are average. You know, maybe they hit average once or twice in their lives. Like, and I'm, I'm not saying get rid of all of them, but let's let's try rotating some of them out. Let's see and try rotating somebody in. And again, losing uh, Barton Lynch, they had somebody who was actually fresh and good last year. Losing him and not replacing him, it's just... Now I'm just left. I can't listen to those guys anymore. I honestly can't. Do you need to take that, by the way? No. Okay. Um, is there a story behind Barton Lynch? I think they just, I mean, no. Derek was going to try to get it. Uh, and I don't know if he still, had, what I heard, all rumor, was just they flat out didn't have enough money to pay him. Oh, okay. And so just cut it. That him. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, because you're right. He is great. And he, I assume that he would want the job. You'd think, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think I think he... Uh, advertised disappointment after, you know, at some point I, I think he uh, got an Instagram or somewhere and said, oh, I really, you know, I wish I was there with you guys or bummer. something like that. Yeah. Well, so I agree for the most part. I think Ronnie Blakey though He's, is an A-lister. Sure. I mean, you could, keep, I think Ronnie's fantastic. You can keep Ronnie. Great. Like, yeah. I'm not saying get rid of all of them. I'm saying let's bring some new, let's, yes. let's totally. like, let's not have Joe for a minute. And like Joe Turpel is the voice of surfing. Did you see uh, WSL released there with Jeep or whatever their virtual ride virtually with Jordy Smith? And I don't know. It seems I didn't watch it. I think you have to have a VR headset or something. Oh, okay. It's on Beach Grit. Um, but somehow the WSL plus Jeep, you get to go with either Jordy Smith or Malia Manuel on a surf trip. Uh, and it feels like it's a choose your own adventure kind of thing. And it is narrated by Joe Turpel. And when I turn it on and hear Joe Turpel's voice, the first thing I do is turn anything off. Right. I've wondered the same thing about why they've stuck to this core group of really guys hard, for like, five years. Yeah. Yeah. With zero change. I know. I mean, and like there were guys who it took two or three years to even really find footing. Yeah. And now, like you said, they're kind of mediocre at best. Um, so I've always wondered that too. And maybe it's just, there's no other options. I mean, maybe what are the other options. I mean, but, but professional, I talked to Mass Kale a while back and he was like, he said he met with him and basically I, I shouldn't speak for Sal actually. And this was off air, but it seemed to me they weren't offering, um, 
up to his standards, what he's used to as a professional broadcaster. Sure, but you know I don't want—I mean? don't want Sal either. To me, Sal is just like a Sal has become a hollow, like cartoon version of Sal. Like I know I—I I could be Sal. I know what he's going to say. I know how he's going to say it. Sure. I feel. I want somebody. Maybe I just want too much. I want somebody new and fresh with just even a even a Chris Cote in there. I wouldn't mind, right? Like yeah. uh, watching watching the Winter Olympics and they have. Um, Oh, what's his name? Snowboarding. Todd Richards. Yeah. I like it made me realize watching Todd Richards call snowboarding how much we're missing in surfing. Because not only is he informed, uh, he tells you important stuff that you need to know. Uh, he does it in a way that's not grinding or jarring. He's clearly insider enough, has a relationship with the guy, r- relationships with a lot of the riders that he can use on air to explain stuff, but also doesn't, you know, get too in the friend zone with them all. Like, yeah. oh, me and my buddies out, whatever. Like, just a very nice professional balance. And I realize that we don't have that in surfing at all. Ronnie is, is close to that and could be that maybe with a, a different color man, but Ronnie stuck with, he was Ronnie. Yeah. Which I love Pete Mel, but Pete Mel is not the best Pete Mel no, in the he booth. He really isn't. And Ronnie and Ross Williams, I thought were a great combo, Yeah, you know, and then Ross stepped aside, which again, makes me think, if that is a better job, like I'm not sure that the WSL is treating them like professional broadcasters and maybe they aren't professional broadcasters and that's why. So I'm not sure which came first, but from, and I know you don't want Sal, but what I kind of got was like Sal at least has played in the professional broadcast world and kind of knows what the protocol is. And the WSL, you know, wasn't, didn't have that framework built for him to, to accommodate him. I guess, I I don't know. I would like, I mean, Again, for me, and this is my my personal battle always against the WSL or against pro surfing in general, is why do we have to treat it so seriously? Why This is not baseball. I yeah. love baseball, and I love how serious people talk about baseball, and I love baseball broadcasters, right? When you get a good baseball broadcaster who can really bring it to life for you, it's, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Surfing ain't baseball. So why not have Ronnie you know, text one of his buddies to come in and sit and talk Uh, to me, that would be more like a more freewheeling kind of less buttoned up, less, less restriction on what they can say precisely like have some fun in there. I mean, which is what I thought for the, for the minute we got like the Vulcan pipe pro or whatever, where you get to have a different vision of the way these things can be announced. Um, it's refreshing. It is. And, and WSL, I will say the whole thing I feel is really stale right now. I feel like, the change, you know, the excitement, whatever the, the, what they were going to do, what they were going to make to me, it just feels tired and it feels like they're waiting to get these damn pools online. Uh, but then what are you going to, what are you going to do with it? You're going to have a boring, stale thing called by boring, stale people. The whole thing just feels like it's becoming in, in trying to wedge it into a sport and a respectable sport so much they're lopping off everything that makes surfing great and they're just making it boring. Yeah. You know, the commentators are under some really difficult constraints in terms of like having to fill eight hours a day and all the lulls. So they do have a hard job, but I agree with you in that there are better people for that job. There could be. And, and, or even if there's not, let's try, let's yes. do, let's do right. a couple years of auditioning. And if at the end of the day, the best people to call professional surfing are Joe Trapel, Martin Potter, Ron Blakey, and Peter Mel, yeah. then I will say I'm wrong. Do you follow Derek Hind on Facebook? Uh, no. Okay, I don't use Facebook. And this uh, screenshot that somebody sent me of Derek Hind's recent post makes me want to get back on Facebook and track Derek. 
it was um, kind of about what we're talking about, and I meant to synthesize it, but I didn't get a chance because it just came through late last night. So I'll just kind of read it to you from beginning to end. He, Derek Hines says, the droning Terpel and the eloquent Potter are at it again, and I listen to the latter with interest. Pot's POV is based upon experience. There's pathos there too. Sometimes though, the whole bubble nature of contest surfing spoils the commentary. On show are patently not the best surfers in the world. Uh, two surfers, 40 years apart, Mikey Meyer and Bo Foster, make a mockery of surfing supposedly as good as it gets via the WSL. I'm only going on J-Bay, but to all those out there who enjoy WSL coverage, there's so much more to surfing than rote turns. It's often what isn't packed into the act of riding a wave that makes riding a wave so special. Economy of motion and positioning by Meyer since 1978. Meyer can still turn a wave into a Da Vinci canvas. As for the unsponsored Foster, Bo Foster. Bo Foster's unsponsored? Yeah. He gets into that in a second. Mm. Um, he turned up with Creed McTaggart and Andrew Doheny at J-Bay two or three years back after the contest season and put in as good of a debut as I've ever seen. Well, behind Aki and Curran anyway. Foster, now dropped by Ruka for what for God knows what pathetic reason, was then better to watch than John John Florence, more stylish than Parco, and as fast as Mick. He was almost as freaky in positioning as Frankie Oberholzer, who remains my idea of a surfer surfer. The only thing Foster wasn't was as round mega as Jordy, who stays perfect to watch. Oh, as all around mega as Jordy, who stays perfect to watch. Nothing like the combo of Simon Anderson and Frankie Oberholzer, after all. The bubble is a really dangerous place to set oneself through uh, the surfing life. He's referring to the bubble of the WSL. To all WSL fans, there's appeal there, but don't swallow the rammed message whole. Do not swallow. Just take stock and take time to look at the bigger view of what makes things really burn. Mm. Derek Hind. Derek Hind. Crazy See? old dude, but... Awesome. And why not bring, if you're the WSL, why not bring Derek Hine into the booth? Dude, Derek would be amazing. I mean, having having a real difference of opinion in there, too, to, like, what's going on. I mean, I, I would be fascinated at that. The, I just, there needs to be something. There needs yeah. to be another spark. Yeah. And maybe, again, maybe it's just me out of the water being a grouchy old man. But I just feel this season that, that the charm is wearing thin with right. the WSL. Uh, another thing that stood out to me with this event was Mick Fanning's sunblock application. Mm, what did he do? I he just watch. rubs it. He does not rub it past his jawline. Does he? Does he like a neck tan? I don't know. It's it's only on his forehead, his nose, and his cheeks, like war paint. Are you sure that wasn't the Aboriginal war paint they do when you win? Positive. He did that too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> they when did that sex, after yeah. the event, but. <laughs> Um, no, it, and in all the archival footage, it's like zinc. Basically. You remember zinc in the eighties was like on your nose, just like right there on sure. your eyes and on the nose. It's like that. And I know he co-founded Vertra, the sunblock brand, right. Or, or he invested in it or whatever, but, and that stuff is like, um, foundation makeup foundation. And you need like a wipe to get it off. Mm -hmm. So I get that part of it, but why not put it on your neck and your ears? And then some listener, I mentioned that, and some listener emailed me, and they're like, haven't you ever heard of zinc? You just put it on the most exposed areas. And I'm looking at Mick going, your neck is just as exposed as your cheeks That's are. That's true. Right? That's true. Weird. Yeah. The dermatologist would not approve. No, right? no. 
We yeah, that's funny. Now Rub it in, Mick. I'm trying to think of the last time I put sunscreen on my neck, though. I always do. Really? Absolutely. I mean, I guess I'm the one with skin cancer over here. That's exactly or, right. I'm dude. in. What do you What do you call it when you're in recovery? When you're finished with remission? Your I'm in remission from my skin cancer. <laughs> so, Mick, uh, super weird sunblock application. Okay, what about Italo? Um, Italo took down Mick in what would have been the most unbelievable story in all of surfing history. Really? Let's be honest. Yes, I am honest. Mick Fanning, dude. Final event. I've never even seen somebody show up for a final event geared to win it. I know, but but really, let's be honest here. It's a rip curl event. Uh, It was announced well beforehand that it was Mick's final event on tour. You don't think that... I didn't watch. I don't know. But you don't think that he was gifted through? I don't think so. It seems pretty outlandish okay. that write a story about Owen Wright. Owen Wright might have fallen on the sword. Yeah, because Owen looked. Long Tom wrote it actually. Owen looked terrible yeah. in that one heat. Sure. He looked amazing throughout the event, and in that one heat, almost like didn't even show up. Yeah, he no. had slept in his car the night before. So there's a story. I but. just think I just think it's real. It's all too uh, yeah, all too easy. The fact that Mick Fanning announces retirement at Rip Curl's one event and. Basically almost wins. The fact that he didn't win makes me think, okay, you know, good. There was some real mm. honest judging there. But I feel, again, didn't watch. But I feel that Mick had to have been gifted through some of his heats. If he was, it was due to the alignment of the cosmos. Okay. It wasn't anybody puppeteer pulling strings behind the scenes. He surfed, he surfed better than everybody. You're saying Mick surfed his heats better than anybody. He barely got through the first three rounds. Okay. He made it to round four. Pat Godowskis had him up against the wall. Pat came out seven, seven, five or something. And it was like 10 minutes left and Mick needed two scores and then absolutely ripped the Got, the, got the scores. Yeah. Okay. And then again, his next heat was against Owen and thankfully Owen just kind of didn't show up. Mm. But um, Fanning planned to retire last year. Like Fanning, he said like, look, last year I kind of realized my heart wasn't in anymore. So I wanted to retire, but Bede and Josh announced their retirement. So I thought I'd be stealing their thunder if I re- announced mine. So you have to imagine he sat down with Rip Curl and Rip Curl goes, dude, make our, it to Bells. Make it to Bells. That's our event. Sure. You're our guy there. Like you and you could win that event. So I, I have a feeling there was an agreement for that. Because sure. why else would you do the first two events of a season? Yeah. You know, I, mean, I mean, for sure. Go to Bells. So that part, Bells. but him actually making it through to the final, I was think legit. was on his okay. own Great. steam. I take it all know? back then. But what about Idolo? Do you like Idolo? Are you a fan of Idolo? Mm, you know, to be honest, uh, yeah, I am. Um, I like him as like kind of the standard bear for the blue collar workman yeah. surfer. And I think that on tour, that's an important character to have is like the blue collar go out and get it done guy is I think a staple of, of you know, of the characters that you have on the WSL. And I think Idolo plays that plays that role super well. I would I would not be surprised at all to be honest if Idolo uh, wins the year. I know that's what people are saying. I mean, he's an undeniably gifted surfer. He's a great it's surfer. Crazy how good mm-hmm. a surfer he is from doing giant airs. What I love about him though, which was highlighted at Bell's, is throwing complete caution to the wind and like being reckless in the end section lip, mm-hmm. not the inside one that breaks on shore, but like right outside the bowl when it connects kind of on the outside that section dumps with a tremendous amount of water and all the other surfers either do it under the lip carve or they hit it super early and try to get down before the explosion. Idolo throws it up into the explosion 
gets slapped down and he's also short and stout. So he just kind of compresses and then he stands up out of it. It's freaking radical he's, to watch. He's a, he's fearless too. He's and really fearless. I mean, and like, I remember, did, did he serve, have a super good heat in Chopu or a super good run at Chopu? Was it last year? I think it was his two years ago. Rookie year. Yeah. Yeah. Where watching him, yeah, he's a. I mean, he's a. He's a really. He's a good surfer. Well, E Man sent an email and said, mm. "Is it just me, or did Idolo just become the new or another form of Mason Ho, the surfer who oozes Stoke in every possible way, from his claims to his um, post heat interviews to his overall demeanor throughout the event? Doesn't look like Idolo has a bad bone in his body, and based on the amount of support that he's received, despite being the guy." who took Mick's swan song away. It seems like every surfer on tour loves this guy. Plus the fact that he spanked Zeke's ass without having to paddle on top of him was awesome. Plus the fact that he's 4-0 against Dirty Gabe in man-on-man heats is the icing on the cake. Okay, that's enough on Idolo. He's the man. Yeah, I mean, right? great. Who else could have done this to Mick where everybody else would have actually accepted it? If, if Gabriel did this to Mick, oh. the internet would have went nuts. People would have been really mad. I mean, maybe John John could have gotten away with it, but everybody else, people would have been like, man, F that guy. We yep. wanted to see Mick win. Yeah. Even Mick, everybody was kind of like, dang, Idolo earned it. Yeah. Which Idolo is won. interesting. Yeah. You know? Speaking of, let's get back to the Zeke John real quick. Yeah, let's do it. You want to do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, preface, I didn't watch it, but the the I did see a after the fact, an Instagram clip or something of it. Um I was confused by the outrage at Zeke. Me too. Like, sure, it's, yeah, like he aggressively paddled on John John. But there's, you're in the stinking ocean. There's a thousand things John John could have done to gotten out of that situation and or, yeah. So to clarify, uh, I think it was round three, heat four. John John, it was a contentious kind of priority paddling battling, which we see all the time. Then Zeke got the first wave, fine, got like a seven. But then when he paddled back out and there was a lull, he actually paddled a circle around John John, just like a shark tracking its prey, which was completely just out of trying to rattle John John. And it worked. And it worked. Because John John not only fell on his subsequent waves and got like a 9.43 for his final heat score, but in his post-heat interview admitted, he's like, admitted that he was rattled. He seemed rattled. And he also said like, um, something to the effect of like, it's a bummer that some competitors feel a need to do that. We should just surf and see who the better surfer is. That's a, it's a funny thing. I think, I mean, it's, it's surfing in general's, uh, move towards becoming a sport. Yes. Where, and Zeke really, and snake Patterson, uh, Jake, Jake Patterson, Zeke's coach just flat out. I mean, if there's going to be, if surfing is a sport or going to be a sport and if the coaches actually coach, then snake, smashed both yes. John John and Ross Williams totally. just by saying, okay, this is, it's a brave new world here. This is a sport. This is how to be an athlete. You go intimidate, you go stare down. It's not a, we're not out here playing a gentleman's game anymore. No. Right. Where John clearly thought or thinks it is. And, you know, I'll agree with John to, to the extent is I, I don't like surfing as a sport either. Uh, it's lame as a sport, I think, but if that's what it is, that's what it is. And Zeke, was completely in his rights and not only that uh snake was a lot smarter than ross like if you're john why do you have a coach what is your coach doing if he's not out there saying hey this guy will get rattled if you or in case this guy does this you should do this like what is ross there for 
I agree. Is Ross there literally to watch John John and be vaguely bummed all the Who time? Knows? I have no idea what a lot of the coaches do. I, I'm always curious about that. Um, but now, now I know what Ross Jake doesn't do. I know what Snake <laughs> does too. Yeah. Sna- I'm for sure they drew that up. Snake said, nobody's hey, ever done this to no, John before. And, it, and you will rattle him and you'll win. So if you want to win bad enough, this is what you do. Right. Which to me, uh, and the rage against Zeke. That's um, the shocking part. I was was utter utterly confusing to me. I I do not understand because that's what it is. That's surfing is in the, in the Olympics now, right? It's everybody's wanted this. Everybody, yeah. This is how do you think sports work? Right. This is this is a sport. It's not. I mean, I guess golf is considered a sport too, and you can't go throw your clubs or whistle in somebody's ear when they're teeing off. But but, but within the rules, there's probably people then pushing those boundaries. Hundred percent. I guarantee yeah. that you're just certain guys play and with other certain guys and rattle them in small ways. You yeah, know, every way they can, which is that sport. This was within the rules completely. So I, um, I do think that this will elevate John John's game. First of all, you think so? so do yes. you think? Do you think John John will be okay? Here's my question: uh, If John John is so on the fence about professional surfing, anyway, like I don't know this to be true at all, but. Let's say, for example, that John John could take or leave the whole thing, right? Like he's going to get paid to go out. He could go out and do video parts, whatever. John, John is as close as we have right now to Dane Reynolds. Dane Reynolds didn't have to surf tour. He could do whatever he wanted, right? And people would still watch. People would download. People are going to be interested. People are going to be interested in what John John's doing, no matter what he's doing. He doesn't need to be on tour to be interesting. Um, And so if having to do this, if John John will say, screw it. It's not worth it. I have my two titles. I'll walk away with two and be done with it because that's not the way I like to surf. Or do you think he'll say, okay, game on and become an actual like a hard nosed, crazy competitor? Option two. I think in this scenario that you created, the only thing that keeps him engaged is this sort of thing. He can win on freakish talent alone just by going out there and waxing guys. So he needs somebody to present an adversary. This is why Kelly got bored and retired until Andy came around. You know what I mean? And then thankfully after Andy, there was enough guys contending for a title to where Kelly stayed interested. But if you're just out there mopping the floor with guys, it's not interesting. Do you, do you think that the John John at Margaret, the next competitor John John faces will, will try to get in John John's head? I don't know if the next competitor will do that, but I think that John John will have defensive tactics ready to go. And further, I think he'll have uh, aggressive tactics set in place based on this experience. If he if he needs to be the aggressor, so you're, you're I think he comes in as the aggressor. So you're you're saying he woke up? I think yes, absolutely, he woke up. We've never seen John John surf with a vengeance. Yeah. Right? No, we've I never mean, seen him surf with any anger at all. I think John John's whole brand, part of the brand of John John, is to be aloof guy, right? To be yeah. a little bit above. I don't know about above it, but but you know, just kind of checked out, doing his own thing. You know, he's sailing, he's doing whatever he's doing, and that's that's the yeah. the allure of John John is that he's not the the competitive freaky and that, guy. And that won you two world titles because you're that talented. But now you're going into West Oz in 25th position. Yeah. So 25th. what are you going to do now? 25th. Yeah. He got 25th twice in a row. Yep. So what are you going to do now? Yeah. You're going to have to find something new. You're going to have to dig in and this is it. I think Zeke unlocked this new thing, which is anger. And if, if he can channel it, the problem is anger also sets people way off on the wrong direction. If he can channel it, which I do believe he can, then it it's going to be really scary, especially next time Zeke draws him in a heat. I mean, it'll be a fun, it, uh, I totally agree. It'll be it, John John uh, 
Yeah, John John surf, figuring out how to surf in this brave, brave new I'm going to hassle you world will be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think so too. Mm. So uh, we'll see what happens at Margaret. But again, the, the anger at Zeke. That's shocking. It was so, so confusing. Jimmy the Saint on Beach Grit commented and said, if he had done it to Medina, everybody would have, apl- talking about Zeke Lau, if he had done it to Medina, everyone would have applauded. If he had done it to St. Mick, he would have been going home in a body bag. Nothing stupid about picking your battles and nothing wrong with tactics in a professional sport. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah, it is shocking. But it's also maybe an indicator to me that as WSL seeks new eyeballs and expands the sport, you're going to get a bunch of people who do not understand and they just see John John as their hero and they're like, somebody did something mean to John John. I'm going to be angry about it. You for know? sure. For sure. I mean, I just, I still think it, it has so much to do with, you know, what is surfing? Is surfing sport? Is it a lifestyle, you know, activity thing? Where, and WSL right. has firmly come down on it's a sport. This is the way you're going to monetize it. This is the way, you know, for them, this is the way they're going to move forward. Um, this is, that's the sporting part of it. it if you're, if your fan base though is furious at these sporting elements, uh, and doesn't like it, then, uh, Oh, I mean, because it's, no, you that's know, a good thing. Y- you think it's a good thing for the WSL that, yes. I, I mean, I think people got a lot of people talking about it, but if the, if your existing fan base thinks that that's somehow unfair or unseemly, you as the league, you know, I mean, like basketball is a great example, I think, or football too, for that matter, of, you know, the catch rule, for example, with football this year, where they had a, a absurd catch rule in play for the last few years that finally, I think, got overturned this year, right? Where, because the fan base was clamoring and, it, you know, was furious about it. If your fan base is furious about what Zeke did to John John, then... What do you do? You if the rule. rule if the rule is unfair, then you want to adjust the rules. But the fan base being furious is a good thing. I mean, like, I, do do you think you're in uh, the debate with Ashton? The fight. Mm. Everybody was furious about that. Do you think we walked away with more listeners or less listeners? Maybe less. More. Really? Yes. Okay. And then the same thing goes with Trump being president. Are more people watching both Fox and CNN? Or less. I get it. I get Everybody's that, watching it. I get that. I get that. Uh, you know, anger and things like that. It's like, engagement. It, it is. But but I also see that next time, next event in Western Australia, if somebody else paddles around John John and he fails again, people want to see John John surf, right? And so if this tactical rule thing is getting in the way of seeing them surf, then people are going to start tuning out. They'll be mad and yeah. just say, I, you know, whatever. I don't, all the WSL is, is guys paddle battling and it's not interesting to me. You're right. There's, you need to adjust to make fair, but once you've decided these rules are fair and you can work within these rules, then if people get angry and upset, that's fine. And to be honest, they're going to watch next event regardless. That, that article on world surf league, uh, I'll pull it up right now. Had more comments. It had 200 comments the other day when I looked at it. About they, Zeke? Would they wrote yeah. an article about Zeke. I mean, I think it's a great thing. I've never seen them have 200 comments sure. ever. I think it's a great thing in the moment for, I think the more people you can engage on something, the better. Yeah. But I think if people... Of course. If your fan if they base, question the validity of what yeah, you're if, doing. It, yeah. Or if it's just at that point, once they've got their anger out, if it's not interesting to them, if they're like... Okay, great. I get it. I get that you engaged me once watching, uh, you know, a really aggressive paddle battle situation. But if I have to watch that in every heat, you know, that's not what I want. Maybe that's what I would want, though. If it distracts from good surfing. Yeah. So ultimately, we want to elevate the surfing. And what I'm arguing is 
this elevates the surface. I, I agree. John John shows up. He maybe for that one heat, it might have diminished it, and Zeke got what he wanted based on. But forever on, it's going to elevate the surfing. I agree. Like I agree that uh, if you're going to be a sport, this is part of the spectacle of yeah. surfing as a sport that makes it interesting. Right? Is like the this like and i don't know why more i mean i think most surfers which is why i rattle john john right there is a unspoken kind of agreement i think by and large unless you're gabriel medina that you know it's whatever we're not going to get in each other's faces we'll play priority but it won't be the you know major component of what we're doing out there where zeke flipped that on his head as far as i could tell right yeah. where getting inside john john's head was his entire motivation sure uh, again, which is totally fine. That's a, a sporting thing to do. Yeah. Well, another thing that I thought kind of realized from analyzing this from a global level is the internet has become more real life than real life is. Mm. Like those commentators who are writing with all this passion on these message boards, like so angry at Zeke. I don't think they get that angry in real life about anything. Yeah. You know, and it it also transpired with Kelly and Joel Tudor. They were fighting about something recently online. Well, I missed the fight. What was I know, the, dude. I can't fight? remember what it is. I I mean, I was I followed it at that time. I'll think of it while we're talking. But in this example, they were spewing vitriol at one another. It might have been Joel saying something about boards made in Oh Asia. yeah, it was. You're right. And Kelly has firewire boards that are made in Asia, you know. So Kelly chimed in and they got into like a very kind of heated name-calling, ugly Instagram battle. And then 30 minutes later, they FaceTime each other cuz Joel was in Fiji or whatever. So they FaceTime each other and they're laughing about it and then they grab screenshots of them laughing and post it in their stories going, "Hey guys, everything's cool." And so again, what I'm saying is in real life, they're cool and casual with each other. But on the internet, they are impassioned and enraged in a way that we used to be back in the day when we only had real life. But maybe, maybe though, is it just all show? Do you think that Joel and Kelly are showmen and saying, hey, let's go put on happy faces because we, we got way too serious there? So the FaceTiming was the show? You think so? No, is that what you're That's saying? That's what I'm saying, yeah. No. If like you think it was all, you think they legitimately are to have good feelings for each other, have yes. warm feelings for each other. They got in a heated debate and then they hugged and made up. I okay. think both things are real. Okay. I think deep down they have business interests that they need to protect. So publicly they're feeling a lot of anger and they're protecting their things. Mm -hmm. And then they sit back and they go, shoot, Joel's actually my buddy. I should reach out to him to let him know he's okay. still my buddy okay. and I'm not really angry at nice. him. Right. So sure. I think that both things are true, but what I think, again, from a global perspective is we're more comfortable being our real animal self, obviously behind a keyboard and with anonymity and all that sort of thing. But on the flip side, I also see much less humanity in the real world now. Mm. When I interact with human beings, there's very little humanity. There's just kind of like a casual, there's no hello or thank you when I get my coffee in the morning. I mean, this morning I got my coffee. I've seen the owner of this place all the time for seven years. I've seen her. She just ignores me now. Still. You know, no, over the years we became yeah. friends and we used to have deep conversations. Now it's like, she can't be bothered because she's making a bunch of coffees for this long line of people. If she said hi to every single one of them, it would take forever. It would take forever. She'd get exhausted. You know? So it's like, 
even though she and I, I feel like are friends, she ignores me now and I'm fine with it. And I actually don't want to engage her because I know she feels obligated to engage everybody. So I give her her space yet. She'll comment on my Instagram posts. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's this weird, weird thing that we're going through. It's, uh, part of the strangeness of it too, I think is that at least for anger as a, as far as anger goes, like if you get angry at somebody in person and you yell at them and scream at them and whatever, it's gone. There's, there's no record of that. If you're angry online, there is a permanent forever record of your rage of your anger online, which is funny like that. Embarrassingly. So yeah, to be honest, totally the thing that's, you know, maybe more embarrassing at the time getting angry in somebody's face is, is actually, you know, doesn't exist beyond that moment. Right. But yeah, being angry online is forever. Lives in perpetuity. Yep. Speaking of which, have you ever talked to Ashton since no. what happened? No, me I wish. Either. I got blocked. He blocked me. <laughs> Did you really? I mean, he, he blocked me on social media. So, oh my God. Yeah. Um, I know. It's a bummer. Uh, but good for him. Like, honestly, he needs to keep his head down. And he's doing good work and keep focusing on work and whatever. So it's good for him. Yeah. But I'm kind of shocked by it, too. Yeah. Um, we're running long and I'm, I know you got things to do. Do you want to go straight into barrel or not to wrap up the show? Or do you want to talk some big business stuff with the Quickabong merger, the Pat Tenori article that was written on beach grid? Let's go, let's go real quick down into the, into the weeds, into the business weeds. Okay. Business weeds. You reported Facebook only garnered 4,900 viewers for the final of the rip curl pro, which isn't actually true. No, I mean, it's true, but it's 40. That's how many, that's the max high watt, you know, high watermark who were on at one time watching. So over the course, you know, they're only measuring who's on that minute watching. Right. So over the course of the thing, I don't know, over the course of the final, what, maybe I, I have no idea how to even extrapolate, but I, but if I can look at use beach grid as an example of, you know, who we have on concurrently versus what that equals at the end of the day, sure. I have a rough, I have a rough understanding of how many people that equals. And it's, it's not many, I'll say. Well, and that was only on Facebook because yeah, exactly. they're streaming. They're streaming the event on their website. Exactly, but but I, sort of I just think that truly and really, the numbers the numbers are, are really low. They are low. So they also published that final, of course, as they do with all their heats on their YouTube page. As of this morning, the final had fifty one thousand views, mm. so ten times as much. Great. So you're right. The numbers. I think Ben Franklin quote is like, there's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics, you know? So you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. But what I wonder is, or there's a number of points, but one thing I wonder is, is there really any added value? Facebook's talk, or um, WSL's talking about like these live events, live events, we're gonna get more eyeballs, we're gonna go on Facebook so that we can stream instantly. Is there really really any added value to streaming the thing live to streaming the event live right no i mean because if it ends up on instagram afterwards in 60 second clips that seems to me to have equal value if it ends up on youtube afterwards and gets fifty-one thousand views in uh, three days doesn't that have just the same amount of value i think i think that's part of the the wsl is going to be part of the wsl struggle moving forward is that um with the i think the webcast or watching it live is super duper important to their core core audience, which happens to be 5,000 people like the, yes. the core audience who actually cares about watching alive is micro the people they can reach through, you know, clips or little edits or whatever 
is bigger and that's what the, you know, they're trying to grow this overall, but I reckon that's where the growth is going to come from. The growth is not going to come from somebody sitting down and watching an event start to finish live, which, but that's also the cost prohibitive thing to do. Right. Yeah. So at the end, I mean, I wonder if the WSL will ever, ever get to a point where they look at their business model and think, uh, yeah, streaming live contests doesn't make sense financially. It'll be a lot better for us to package them send them out that day in bite-sized packages. We'll get tons of views. We can pre-roll ads on them. We won't have to have stinking, you know, Terpel and Martin droning on and on and on. I mean, you could, you could, wouldn't even have to have commentators there, right? I mean, you could send the videos quickly back to Santa Monica. Right. You could add commentary, whoever on top of it. Judges don't need to be there. Commentators don't need to be there. They could reduce all of those costs. So I I would imagine that they are aware of this and that you and I aren't just figuring it out, but I just kind of realized it when I looked at your article and those numbers, I was like, shoot, hopefully they're not out there trying to sell ad space for these live events. Like going to the big companies and like, hey, run ads during our streaming because that's really not where the value is. No, I mean, that's the funny thing too is and I think why Facebook got involved, right? Like the... In the in the day and age of of everybody recording television shows, live sport is one of the only things that people will actually watch live, um, which completely makes sense for baseball or football or basketball or anything within the two to three hour range. It does not make sense for pro surfing where it's in the six to eight hour range per day over multiple days. Right. Um, where I I love it, you know, for the, for the core surf fan, of course, watching the thing live, even though I haven't watched this year. But I'll pick it back up eventually. But uh, it, it's why it's that you know long day that you could get to sit and yeah, and, Which, and have it on in the background. But, I'm going to be among the five thousand. I love doing that. Sure, but again, not where their that's not nope. where their most value is. Another interesting point was Felipe's free surf wave uh, during one of the lay days. I'm, I'm, you might have seen this. He posted on his account where he did like three uh, did. airs yep. and like ripped the wave, and everybody's like, "Oh, that would have been a ten in the contest." On Felipe's Instagram account alone, that had 170,000 views. Yeah. Beach Grit reposted it. I saw a bunch of people repost it. So I'm claiming that thing probably has a quarter of a million views. Sure. One wave from the free surf session. That's something for the WSL to take note of too, is like this one thing went viral and got more views than any of your stuff throughout the entire event. I mean, they, they have to be aware of it. I wonder They're if, aware. and I wonder if part of the, their thinking is and why they cut Barton Lynch and all this stuff is let's pare down our main event to as bare bones as we can do it. We need to run them as a loss leader where we get content from them. Uh, this is our brand live sports people are into. So, you know, theoretically Jeep or whatever will pay because it's that's live sports is buzzy still. Um, Jeeves cr- trying to create a lifestyle too. Yeah. So totally. they're like, let's, yeah, it's also, it all works together, but it really is a loss leader and they'll spend as little money as they can on the tour itself. Uh, and as you know, resources, resources moving forward on the clips and whatever else. Well, the focus needs to be that money spent on the tour needs to ensure that the best surfing in the world is happening on the tour. Yeah. So that wave needs to take place in a heat so that, their videos become viral, yep. not the free surf clips, yep. you know, that. so get the best surfers in the world on the best on, waves on tour. Firstly. Yeah. And then, so like, and the reason why I state that, even though it seems obvious is the bottom half of the tour doesn't really need to be there, nope. but we would like to see Mikey right there. We would like to see Mason 
Oh, depending on the venue. I'd like to see Bo Foster there now. Bo, apparently. I need yeah. to track down Bo Foster <laughs> yeah. again. Like, I loved Bo Foster when Me he was too. coming up on Hurley back in the day. I was like, what? Yeah, it's funny. It's, when you were talking about him, I honestly had to look up his picture to remember who he was. Because in my mind, he just became Noah Dean. Uh, You're right. Bo, they like, merged. That's, that's the only picture I had in my head when you were talking about Bo Foster was Noah Dean. Bo, Bo was real effeminate looking. So was Noah, though, right? I mean, both yeah, were real pretty right. boy. They were like... Bo, Pretty Australian boys became the Regular same thing in my flutters. mind. When I see the picture of Bo, I totally remember him and all that, right? But yeah, it took me to Google image him. He, he was real um, dainty, but had amazing style. Yeah. I, no, I want to go back and watch some Bo Foster clips. He was like a reverse, or reverse version of Craig Anderson mm, almost yeah. in style. And then, yeah, it was on Ruka for a bit, but apparently not on Ruka anymore. So mm. who knows what. But also, I mean, Derek Hines, like for who knows what reason. Well, the reality is a lot of time those contracts don't get renewed because the surfer didn't honor their obligations. Sure. You know, it's yeah, not Ruka's fault who, who necessarily. Knows, yeah. um, so, okay. A couple of other things though, in regard to big biz is you wrote an article about is uh, the Facebook merge or the Facebook deal with the WSL seems to happen at the most inopportune time. I mean, it so did I like Facebook is in the hottest water ever and that's only getting hotter every day. And this is, this story is not going away. And not that it affects, I mean, the World Surf League is a tiny, 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 tiny bit of business for Facebook, obviously. But to me, the worry for Facebook, I mean, for the WSL would be that, you know, the hashtag, whatever, drop Facebook or get off Facebook or whatever, the movement that's happening to delete your Facebook account uh, actually affects their their viewers because it does. their viewers are, who just patently refuse to get on Facebook or have such distaste for it that you're all of a sudden losing audience. But WSL, I guess, is hedged at this point because it's not only on Facebook, it's still everywhere else. But next year, I think it's theoretically only on Facebook. That was supposed to be this year. So yeah. are they hedging because they're waiting to see how this shakes out? Because when Prodan talked to me, he said, no, it was that the technology isn't quite up to the experience yeah, that we have it on I don't. Side. I don't think they're hedging okay. uh, right now because, because they... Uh, they're not making the choice to hedge. They're hedging because they have to because Facebook actually isn't ready because there's no way right. in the world Facebook would let them show it anywhere other than Facebook. If you're paying for an exclusive thing right. and it's on your competitor YouTube also, then uh, yeah, that's a that would be a silly move for Facebook. I mean, it's super speculative, but what do you think is going to happen with Facebook with all that's going on? Do you think Facebook ever goes away at some point? Uh, I mean, it's probably at this point too big to fail. Uh, I would imagine that there'll be a version of Facebook around, unlike MySpace. You know, I don't think it's because it's Facebook's business is not just, I mean, I think Facebook's business is things we don't even know, right? It's like this big, you know, obviously data selling and stuff is a, is a huge component of their Facebook and, or I mean, a, a huge component of their business model. I don't even think we know necessarily no, what their don't. business model is. I think it's a huge company that has fingers everywhere. Um, so is, yeah, no, I don't think Facebook is going away, but it might go away as a social platform the way it is, the way we think of it now. Well, it always evolves. It's evolved in the last week since, sure. you know, like I think it does go away, dude. I think like you say it's too big to fail. It was too big to even succeed in the first place. Like I, I don't know how these tech companies justify the, um, the amount of money that they sell for and that they bring on an investment. It's like, I remember when they bought Instagram I think the number was a billion dollars or something ridiculous. And they had like 
They've been in business for 18 months. They had six employees. They had no revenue model. How does Facebook justify spending that amount of money for something with no revenue model that has to collapse at some point? Yeah. And how do they continually bring on investment without having the business plan in place? It's happened for the last decade. And you could all point at me and go, hey, idiot. No, this is the way the world moves now. I'm just saying... Talk to me in 20 years. I mean, I think, but I think Facebook actually makes money, unlike Instagram and stuff. I think now it does. Facebook is a, is a revenue generating machine for the data that they mine and sell. Like it, it I mean, does, a, it does now. But, but that's I'm, the thing. Data, data is the new currency, right? right? And Facebook has the best and most data. And so they are the leaders in the future, basically. I mean, they and Apple and Google kindly, or kindly, kind of are <laughs> p- positioning. Uh, for who's going to come out on top here, but I think I don't. I don't see a future, a Facebookless future. A Facebookless future. It just happens. So happens that the WSL in the moment that they need, they needed a this quiet, nice transition. It's anything but for them. Of course, no. It's not great for the WSL. I guess look at world history. Right? Did the Roman Empire ever did anybody ever anticipate that falling? No, and you know I, what I mean, sure. Like, I just I guess and maybe way on down the line, I just don't see in the next ten years Facebook yeah. Facebook faltering. I like the story of Elon Musk offering to buy it and just delete it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great that guy's so great because it's like that would never ever happen. And yeah. Zuck's worth way more than yeah. Elon is. But it's great publicity. Sure, For him to even make awesome. that statement is so Smart, yep. you know. All right, dude. Barrel or not? Hitchhiking. Oh, total barrel. Really? Oh, complete. Okay. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's really hard these days. I, I mean, I'm afraid of it, and I've never done it, so oh. I don't know. I'm on the fence. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's not awesome in America because you won't get picked up, but third world country, especially hitchhiking, is a way to get around. It's like the primary form yeah. of transportation. Yeah. I've, Have I've you had, ever done it? Oh, of course. Really? Yeah. Many Do you ever places. get any crazy situations? The the first time I ever went to surf in Baja, me and a buddy went down. We thought it would be a good idea. We drove down in this truck and parked some beach and wanted to go to Ensenada, I think. And for some reason, just for the adventure of it, I think, decided to hitchhike. So hitchhiked, uh, got picked up real quick by a nice Mexican guy with his kid in a truck. I uh, told him we were going to Ensenada. It's great. He drove us into the hill like we got off the road pretty quick and got back up in the hill and we kept going and going dirt road, windy, windy, whatever. Uh, it must've been two hours. We were riding in the back of the truck. Two hours later, he stopped. We jumped out deep in the hill somewhere. Your first opportunity to jump out though. I mean, we got at out. some point you knew it wasn't going the way. Well, yeah, but it, 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 I mean, we were clearly not going to Ensenada, but there wasn't anything, you know, necessarily ominous about it. That, but I mean, we were sitting in the back of the truck. We, okay. So he clearly didn't think we were, you know, worth securing in any way. Got out. There's another guy there who had a truck. Uh, they talked for a minute and then the dude said, came over and said in Spanish, or we figured out, you know, broken Spanish, figured it out that he wanted us to co-sign. He was buying this car and he wanted us to co-sign. And so we did, we co-signed. Then he took us all the way back to where he picked us up and told us, don't hitchhike. There's dangerous people around here. Oh my God. Uh, that was it. You got a free pass. It was pretty fun though. We got to co-sign for a car in deep Mexico. Have you ever have you ever gotten a call from a creditor about that? Uh, someday. I'm still waiting. I'm still hoping. That's why my credit is so bad. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. I mean, that, first of all, is completely, you couldn't script that. That was, no, it was you'd so never random. expect. Yeah. But if you're going to get driven off into the woods or into the hills, 
that's the one situation you want to have happen in oh, the hills. Cosign for a car. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, I did not expect yep. this, but here you go. You we should both? don't use your own signature. Just fake a signature. I mean, yeah. I, I want to come up with a fake signature that's just on lock. So, so if I'm ever it. in a situation. If you ever need like to that, co-sign for a Mexican car. Or even my own car. Yeah, that's What if true. I decide I don't want it in two years from now and just be like, huh? That wasn't me. Yeah, go find that guy. Yeah, exactly. I have a buddy. Okay, Barrel. I have a buddy who's hitchhiked a ton in the U.S., but again, when he was younger and like it was okay to do. And yeah, he told me he's had a few weird situations, one of which was a trucker asking him to give him head. Mm, Nice. And so he's like, I I don't remember how he got out of it. He did not give the trucker head. I would imagine. Or at least he says that he didn't. I would imagine it's a thing, right? I mean, I would think that there's a underworld of hitchhikers in the States. I don't understand in the States just because I can't imagine who would pick you up, to be honest, except for truckers looking for head. Well, you're right. There is an underworld. There has to be a counter or a subculture that just knows then those it's are the like, rules. And so I'm sure the trucker picked, picked like, your buddy up and was like, "This is these are the rules. If he's hitchhiking, he knows the rules. Yeah. And so he has to pay for this ride. Yeah. You know? So, all right. Well, I'm not going to be hitchhiking. I'm past the point in my life where I would hitchhike yeah. anyways, regardless of where I'm at. Third world, you're good to go, though. Yeah. I mean, Even in the third not, world, I can afford to like, sure, buy a not, jet. I'm not so say, yeah, but I'm not <laughs> saying like go do it for fun. But I'm saying if you have to, like, yeah. you know, that's an easy way to get okay. around. Good to know. I'll keep that in mind. Um, barrel or not, number two making a sex tape i'm gonna say barrel theoretically though i've never done one have you ever made a sex tape you have my parents listen to this show occasionally so i will not fess up okay yeah. have you have you rewatched? yeah <laughs> <laughs> was it is it barrel uh it's uh here's the problem it's barrel but you can never ever share the tape sure you can't share it with even whoever else is in the tape because if you guys don't you know uh end up dying together 50 years from now if you break up anytime between now and then someone and it's going to be contentious and that tape will end up in somebody else's are you worried that somebody else will get the tape i mean is it an actual physical tape or is it a is it digital i'm not worried about it you're not worried about it it's well contained okay but this story or this whole segment comes up because I'm sure you're aware there's a surf personality. There is. I mean, to sex tape. So here's the thing. I was confused about this. I, I, somebody had commented or sent me that stab had done something on it, but then it had disappeared off stab almost instantly. Yeah. And the, I didn't like follow the trail, but what, what is the trail? Stab wrote an article saying that a surf female surf personality uh, posted or sent a video of herself masturbating to another pro surf personality who then leaked it. They don't know how it was leaked, actually, if maybe she leaked it herself, her people, a la Kim Kardashian, mm. like Paris Hilton. Yeah. Um, or if the guy leaked it, they're not sure who leaked it, but it made its rounds. And so Stab wrote the article about it. They didn't say who it was and they posted a screenshot of it, but Ooh. in the, in like the main image at the top of the article, but tiled out the face and the genitals. So you, you couldn't make anything out sure. other than that. It was a sex tape. And then six hours later, it was the gone. Article was gone. Uh, but a listener was kind enough to send me the tape. Oh, wow. You haven't seen it yet? No. Do you want to see it? Sure. Um, I actually researched the person in this video is of age because I was actually concerned that they weren't and that if I was passing this around, it would um, get me into hot water. 
I'm not going to say who it is, but push play. Okay. So thanks to listeners, by the way. Uh, surfsplendorpodcast.com slash contact, contact is the rumor email form where you could send me anything you want. Is that where this came from? Uh, no, this actually came through DMs on Instagram. It's got it's got a horrible quality to it. Shocking, right? I mean, isn't any is this, is was it shot on a flip phone? BlackBerry, maybe I don't know, dude. I mean, it's Motorola really, Razor. That's one of the worst quality. Oh wow! Uh... Also, can it be called a sex tape if it's just masturbating? No, no, it's a it's a masturbatory tape. Yeah. Wow. Well, good on you to, to get it and to get to the bottom of it. You like that? Well, why do you think Stab ripped down the article? They clearly were contacted. I wonder why they would rip it down, too. They were contacted. They posted a similar article um, this week, almost a week later, without that segment in it. Okay. Because it was the Gossip Girl column where they like talking about who changed sponsors and okay. stuff. So they posted all the other details from the original article, but without the sex tape mention. Okay. Why would you take it down? Is yeah. there a legal threat? I mean, I mean, there must have been. But how? I don't know what the legal. I think that I grounds think, would be. I think that uh, blackmailing someone with a sex tape is super duper illegal. Who got blackmailed? Well, may I mean maybe her theoretically the the actress in the yeah masturbatory tape yeah uh, and that I wonder if like the rules regulating that also. Uh, affect the the platform where the thing gets published like if you're if you're liable if you're stab you're liable for the legalities right i would imagine there's something like that has to be true and even if it isn't a real threat it's kind of like let's just get, get away rid from of it this. yeah who knows yeah. um so making a sex tape are you going barrel or not dude uh you know i i guess i'm gonna go barrel you think so yeah but i've never done it so again i guess i should i mean yeah I, again, just getting it out, letting it get out there is not. I always do question though. Like, I'm I'm shocked that the Kim Kardashian thing made her a celebrity, and that the Paris Hilton. I'm shocked that that works for your benefit in today's world. Yeah, you know what I mean. Sure. Like, I would I would always just think that getting it, having it seen publicly, would be so mortifying. Yes, would yeah. be a bad thing no matter how you uh-huh. shake it. It's weird that we're in a time where it's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. Right. Yeah. So, wow, fascinating. All right, sex tape. I'm going barrel on sex tape. I'm going way. barrel too. Super barrel, by yeah. the way. Uh, all right, barrel or not? Nah, gambling. Oh, barrel all the way. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why? Uh, if you're going to, I mean, compare, I guess gambling compared to any fantasy sports or stuff like that is a total barrel. Like if you're going to, if you're going to really do something, I'm going to go barrel all in on gambling. Yeah. Barrel. You're a gambler? No, not really, but oh, okay. uh, I'm horrible at gambling. So I'm not good at it, but I wish I was. I have yeah. a poker group gets together every other month or so. And I've been doing it for seven to 10 years and that's a blast, but it's a $40 buy-in. Mm. It lasts all night long. We eat and drink really well. It's all a social thing. Yeah, None of us are actually good at it. Sure. I don't think, but that's the only way it's barrel for me going to a casino. Like those casinos are designed to make money to keep. Yeah. Which the shocking thing is the slot machines are literally a computer program designed to make money. Yep. And you think that you're going to beat it. Yep. It's weird. I mean, but I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I would never play slots. Right. But Nor for like I. for, but there are people playing. Sure. I mean, tons of people. I think that's what makes the most money in casinos. Right. Dude, they're building new casinos every single year that are billion dollar investments. 
not because they're selling hotel rooms. Yeah, so not so I guess I'm saying gambling's barrel not for like the the like rote, you know, just doing it mindlessly, but like really playing a game uh for money. I mean like, you know, really whatever. Even if the odds are, on sure, something. Sure. Yeah. All in. It adds excitement. Yeah. That's for sure. Way more excitement than stinking fantasy. I, I can't wait for yeah, I think Beach Grit we have a Australian gambling partner uh and I really want an American one too, even though I know that surf wagering and whatever. Yeah. yeah. When I was 20 years old, I worked in a restaurant and I had a regular customer who was a great tipper, very generous. And I was going to Vegas before I turned 21 and I mentioned it to him and he pulled out a hundred dollar bill and he handed it to me and he's like, dude, here's a hundred bucks. Do you know how to play blackjack? And I'm like, sure. He goes, walk up to a blackjack table and play one hand for a hundred bucks. And if you win, you keep 100 and you give me my 100 back. If you lose, no big deal. You lost right. my money. It's all good. Yeah. And I was like, well, dude, I'm not 21. He goes, well, if you walk up to the table and put 100 bucks down, they're not going to card you yeah. on the spot. You're if you stay cool. for an hour, maybe they will. I was like, all right. So I was like super nervous walking from my hotel room down to like the buffet. And I'm like, muster the courage to walk up to this table. There was like three or four other dudes at the table. Put the 100 bucks down. Dealer dealt me the cards, dealt me a 10 and a six. Mm, and I was like, do? crap. Yeah. What do you do? Because did you not, and you didn't know the book at that point either, did you? I didn't know. No, I didn't. And it wasn't my money. So it was yeah. kind of like easier to take the gamble. Sure. And oh, and the dealer was showing a face card. I okay. remember that too. Oh, then that makes it easier. So then I was like, I took a hit. Sure. And he gave me a face card and I busted instantly. It was a hundred bucks that I lost in, I'm going to say 15 seconds uh-huh. total and arguably the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Cause, because it, cause it turned you off gambling completely mm. soured me. Whereas I, I think if I would have won that money today, I would be chasing that dragon. Yeah. You and I wouldn't even be sitting here. I'd be sitting at a casino in deep San Diego. But just think though, maybe we would have a gambling podcast that would actually Shoot. be more valuable than a surf podcast. That's a good point, maybe. There's more gamblers than surfers. I'd be swindling all of my yeah. friends. I would devoted my life towards being the winner. Yeah. Of, yeah. Okay. Shoot. Okay. Gambling. You're going barrel. I'm going gambling. Nah. Okay. Right. A split. A split right. peak. On, <laughs> Rarely on ever we do we split. Uh, final barrel or not, the throwback rip curl logo. Mason Ho brought it back last month. Now Mick Fanning is sporting it. The search logo. Uh, oh, the search one, not right. the not the bubble one, not the not the circle with the rip curl and like seventies no. riding. So Mick, throughout this event, you watched it so little, you're unaware. I didn't see I didn't the watch. old Tom Curran logo. That's like the three wave. logos. No, it's like three logos. Um, Oh, the search one. The I know what you're talking logo. about. Yeah, Frankie I, I was, Oberholzer yeah, had yeah, it. Yeah, Tom yeah, Curran yeah, yeah. used to have it. Mason Ho had it on his board in his last clip that he dropped last month. Yep. It's, kind, it of, it's so, kind of tribal, right? It's yes. A, it's, yeah, tribal-esque. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, I was super barrel on it. So I'm going to say it must have been barrel because I thought it was so awesome yeah. as a kid. So I guess I'm barrel. It's so barrel because it's just reminds you of Tom Curran in the yeah. search and Frankie Oberholzer. Yeah. It, you see it and you're just like, rad. Yeah. And the fact that Mick's on it now radical yeah I'm great super barrel barrel all right man spyoptic.com thank you fantastic spy i wear mine every day my happy man even though i was super grouchy on this podcast uh and the promo code podcast will not only support this show it gets you laid gets you laid and gets you a one-year membership to the surf rider foundation I mean, only for the month laid. of april though that's how it gets you laid that's how it gets you laid yeah 
So surfer and which again, shout out to the Surfrider Foundation, Surfrider.org. We uh, that's where we're at right now. They let us use their quiet room as our home office. So thank you, Surfrider.org. Chaz, everything that um, he writes and discusses is always available on BeachGrit.com. And all the visuals that accompany everything that we discussed will be available on surfsplendorpodcast.com, along with the comments section where you could chime in. Leave a grumpy comment about today's show on Beach Grit, and you potentially could win a pair of spies with the happy lens. You sure can. Congratulations, Wiggly. Congratulations. He earned it, dude. He's been commenting for so, a long he's time. So he so earned it. And that, that comment, not only did it, was it grumpy and made me laugh. Yeah, it was really good. All right. Until next week, Chaz, get barrel. Someone's